0: That's right, I'm Neil Winnell. It's 10 o'clock on a Monday night here in Chicago. That means it's time for Heavy Metal Talk Radio. And my co-host on the East Coast in Japan. Not in Japan, in New Jersey. Japan, Nick, how are you, Nick?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, Not yet back in Japan, but uh, Jersey's doing well. I'm just excited for the Vindicator interview tonight.
0: Yeah, and and we got Vic on the line, I believe, so you want to get right into it? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'll wait till I'm tired, I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) How you doing, Vic? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, how about yourself?
1: Good, good. Doing well. Now, Vic, your new album, United We Fall, has been out for a bit over a year. What kind Mm -hmm. of perception do you hope that people have taken from it?
0: I mean, I hope that they see a more mature vindicator, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I, I know I'm relaying a lot of, of political opinions and views and whatnot. Not everybody's into that kind of thing, but, you know, I don't know, it was an outlook for me. So I just hope that they, they, they've they recognized that we've grown as a band and, and uh, we're, you know, we're not you know we're not doing anything. We're trying to improve every, uh, ourselves and whatnot and, and uh, convey messages that we, we hope people are picking up on. But, you know the bottom line is the music, and that's, you know, I think we took leaps and bounds on this record as opposed to the Antique Witchery, so.
1: I see. Now, can you speak about the equipment that was used to record the United We Fall album?
0: We uh, we did that all ourselves. Uh, I'm pretty happy about, you know, how it turned out and whatnot. Really, we were using some computer from, I think, 1997. Somehow James has a working computer that's that old. I mean, it's impressive. Uh, He uses Reaper. Uh, the program Reaper, and uh, you know, we just went into a basement, bought some moving, some of those moving uh, blankets, soundproofed for drums, uh, you know, mic'd up with some not real expensive mics, uh, you know, SM57s, uh, what else did we use? A couple of different Shures and whatnot. Nothing real top of the line. You know, we, we used what we had and what we could afford. I think the budget for the whole album was like a thousand bucks, so we put that in the mics and, and what soundproofing we could get our hands on and uh, went from there.
1: I see. Now, you've been on Slaney Records for quite some time. How did you make their connection?
0: Uh, the the label owner, Kieran, contacted us a, a while back uh, after we put out uh, There Will Be Blood and uh, wanted to know if we were interested in doing a split. And we saw it as a great opportunity because all we had to do was give him six tracks. And uh, he paid for manufacturing, et cetera. Um, And we just saw it as an opportunity. And we he found us on, I want to say, Facebook. I think it was a Facebook connection at that point in time, possibly MySpace. I don't don't know which one. But he found us. He came to us. And, you know, you, you take what opportunities come, especially one like that. That was a great opportunity for us. And since then, we stayed in contact with him. Uh, you probably know that after the split, we were signed to Heavy Artillery for a small period of time, and then after that whole thing fell through, we decided, you know, "Let's work with Kieran again. We know him, we trust him, and uh, you know, we want to we want to give him first dibs on the record, and he took it." So, what happened with this, uh, with uh, Heavy Artillery? Didn't it just kind of fade away? Yeah. Heavy artillery kind of just went under. Um, you know, I I don't want to say it's you know it was this reason or that that you know the, the economy's been rough. I know it's one of those things. Oh, the economy, the economy, but it really did uh, with with you know CD sales plummeting and everything else that happened on that label. Maybe a couple of the bands didn't pull their weight or something. I don't know, but I know that financial reasons are the reasons that that whole thing went under. Uh, Punk Core Records was, uh, the, the, was a mother label or something, and that went under like a year prior to Heavy Artillery going under. Uh, there were a couple different things, like Heavy Artillery is going to stay active, uh, but just put out like final releases or something, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But it just ended up just going away. And Eric bought the stock and bought out most of the titles Uh, on the label, and some of the bands stayed with Earache, and some of the bands signed out of Earache, and so that's kind of what happened to him. He just kind of sold off his company to Earache, and they did what they wanted with, you know, the labels and the releases.
1: Now, Vic, with your album, what kind of reactions have you gotten from fans that you didn't expect about the album?
0: The new one? Yes. Um, well, I'm on vocals, so that's a big change for our sound. Um... Marshall was on every release up to that point, our former uh, vocalist, and uh, so, you know, people do like my vocals. That was a big concern for me. We actually did a month out in support of the Antique Witcheries, and, and Marshall had quit like right before it, so I had to step in and, and do vocals and stuff. And I was really concerned with, uh, you know, how people were going to take that. I was the band I was in prior to that. I did vocals, and it was kind of like a wishy-washy thing. I, you know, I wasn't real confident in myself, and a lot of people didn't really dig it, but, you know, I developed the sound and and, uh, a vocal style, and and people seemed to to like it. It's a little more melodic than what Marshall does, you know, he's more of a shouter. I try to add a little bit of melody uh, to screaming and shouting, you know, Um, so people were, people liked that. Um, I... You know, there's some different tracks on there. We 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 didn't go for a straight up, you know, like uh, old school trash approach. We we added some different heavy metal and rock and roll elements, and then and, and stuff that were, you know, maybe a little bit off the wall, but we we liked it and it fit, so we, we did it. You know, nothing too extreme, but a couple things here and there, maybe like uh like say at the end of uh, uh Gears of Fate, uh we've got kind of like a a synth kind of part. You know, most people would, would scoff at that, but it's, uh, we were like, yeah, let's do it. It's just kind of neat, you know, it sounds kind of cool, so we did it. But, uh, I don't know. I, I, I uh, the, the biggest probably thing that I am happy about in this response is, is the vocals, you know. But you see, and that's a, a double-edged sword there, too, is some people absolutely hate the vocals. <laughs> so some people are more of a fan of these very aggressive, you know. There it is. You're not much of a thrash vocalist, and there's no room for this melody. <laughs> so, yeah, whatever. You can't want them all, I guess. I see the cleaner vocals seems seems to be getting more popular. Yeah, yeah. Um, you i you that? Know, like I've, yeah, I mean, like. For me, like, I don't know, like, I, I do like a little bit of melody. It, it, even if it's it's not even necessarily clean, I don't care if you're screaming or groan or what, but I do like, I can't, I don't like the monotony. I don't want you just, I don't like just shouting. And nothing against, you mm-hmm. know, it's absolutely nothing against Marshall because, like, you know, he didn't also do that, but his, his range was a little smaller. But, I mean, dude's got an iron set of lungs, man. He could, man, he could scream mm-hmm. with the best of them. And, uh, but, mm-hmm. you know... I do like a little melody in what I'm doing, and even maybe a harmony here and there. You know, I was raised in a family like of, of rock musicians and folk musicians and things like that. So, you know, vocal harmonies and melodies are something that has been ingrained in me since day one. So, uh, Yeah, it's cool to have the diversity, too, within the uh, scene. You know, it kind of sets the bands apart. Right, right, right.
1: Thick. Vic. Divided we stand, united we fall. What is this a reference to?
0: You know, I thought I was being clever there. <laughs> yeah, but that's really what it is. You know, it's like, for me, the whole album's about unity. And I, I really see a disturbing lack of unity in this country. Some, some, Somebody's pitted against somebody at all times. You know, be it political, religious, uh, race. There's always somebody on somebody else's case, and it's constant... You know that's not what this country is about, and I think that it's strayed from it greatly, especially in the past several years. And uh, it's an unfortunate thing because that's one of the great things about this country. And uh, so that's uh, you know it's 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 really just a play on words, and really you know if you don't if you don't stand together, ultimately you're going to fall. You're going to be at each other's throats so much that it's going to bring everything down. We as people need to stick together, and we need to see when there's wrongs being done to us, and we need to act and do something about that.
1: I guess that's pretty much what your song "At War with Thy Neighbors" about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know that's, that's a big deal. Like, uh, especially you know when it comes to politics, you know, it's, uh, I, I've had friends get punched in the face because they're they're toting a certain candidate sticker on their car. You know, violence. <gasps> I mean, are you serious? Like, that's what that's what we've come to. Like, that's going to change his vote. You assaulting him, you know, and, and just it, it's it's out of control. I mean, it's really gotten out of control. So it's definitely not about, like, it's not about, like, you know, you know, I've got to play on, on words for loving thy neighbor, you know. It used to be, like, you know, now now two people have two different signs in their yards. You know, they're launching scuds from their backyards and throwing Molotov cocktails at <laughs> each other, you know. So, I mean, it's it's ugly. It's an ugly world out there. So that's that's really, that's just a, the kind of hammering You're saying to the
1: thief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that about one person or a number of people?
0: Politicians. We can keep we can keep it there. I mean it, it really doesn't need <laughs> the be overthought from that, you know, like it's it's you know, that's it, there again from our plan unity. I was walking down the road one day, uh, I dropped my car off locally to get it worked on and I was listening to some rough mixes and I walked by a uh, one of the small West American flags you can buy, like, in a 99-cent store, you know, nothing expensive, but still it was covered in gravel and tattered, and it's, that's what this country's come to. It was really a shame to see that. I picked it up, and I washed it and hung it on a wall. You know, it's, it's, I'm not saying I'm some monster patriot or something, but I'm, I am saying that, you know, we're all fat characters of what this country used to be, and it's because of politics. That's one of the biggest reasons that people can't get along with each other. You know, and people blame religion and everything else. It really is just, it, it, it's a sad thing to see that, like, these guys that we vote into office, you know, we're paying them top dollars to do nothing for us. And that's not what they're supposed to be doing. I'd like to get back to the old days where the, where the blue-collar guys, you know, were they worked and then they went to Washington and they came back to their job. Congress used to do that kind of stuff, I believe. If I'm not badly mistaken. And that's that's what it is. We're being robbed of our unity, that's a shame. I mean, like, I, I, I'm i kicking a dead horse, I'm a broken record, but that's that's really what it's about, man. Good.
1: Vic, if you could be president for a year, what five things would you authorize with full power to do so?
0: No, oh, I'm telling you, one of the dumbest things, I mean, this is silly, but I would totally legalize pot. I would. I, I don't even do it myself, but I think it's stupid that it's not legal. It's really safer for an alcohol. But. That's one of the silly things, sillier things. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a real expert in politics, but, you know, I, I think that certain things could be done better and run better. Uh, you know, I wouldn't know where to start. I really wouldn't know where to start. I mean, being handed this country right now, I would do everything I could for the environment. You know, I really cherish what we have out there and to see and so many corporations and whatnot continue to just abuse the fact that they can spew whatever they want into the air, dump whatever they want in the water and get a slap on the wrist. That's one of the things I would do. I would work on this country. I wouldn't work on anybody else's country. I would focus on this one. You know, I would focus on education and feeding people who can't, you know, feeding starving people and things like that. And there's a lot going on here that gets ignored so that we can go fight in some land for some reason that nobody knows and nobody cares about. You know what I mean. Hmm.
1: What can you say about your new single that you just released? Uh, I believe a couple days ago.
0: Hmm. That was recorded during the United We Fall sessions. Um, we recorded a couple extra tracks. Uh, the first time we've ever done it. Most bands go in a studio and they really do. They cut like a bunch of extra tracks, and then they cherry pick what tracks they like, you know. And then that's what makes the album. And you've got this stuff for a bonus material that can go on, you know, like later releases or EPs, like in our case, you know, we have enough material for an EP that we just, we didn't think fit with the album or something or, or, you know, along those lines. Um, That song was written by uh, my brother and one of our former guitar players. And uh, when Vindicator had taken, we had taken a hiatus for about a year And during that time period, they had started like kind of a speed metal band, and uh, they they wrote that song, and I always thought it was a great song. And uh, I asked, you know, my brother if he'd be down to record it, and I asked the the former guitar player if he'd mind. He didn't mind. And uh, didn't have no words when we got it. It was just basically the riffs and kind of structure. And uh, we took it, we polished it up, and I wrote all the lyrics. And I was like, I'm going to do something sleazy and evil, you know. <laughs> that always just sounded fun to me. Like, the whole idea behind their band was they were going to be kind of like, well, they're going to be kind of evil, not like over the top, you know, and, and crazy. But like, so I was like I'll, I'll kind of stick with that and maybe write a song, maybe about a succubus or something, you know. And that's, that's kind of what happened. It's like a crazy guy and a demon and dirty things and stuff like that. So it was fun for me to write, because it's kind of outside the box for me, and and uh, I had a lot of fun recording it too. You know, went in just kind of no holds bar and, and went at it, and that's what we got. And it turned out really, it turned out really cool. Um, so I, I was I was happy with it. Uh, we we just because a couple of the tracks hadn't actually gotten mixed and uh, engineered and mastered and everything. We kind of if we weren't going to use those tracks, we had decided what tracks we were going to use in the album. We focused on those tracks. So these remaining three or four tracks, they're just kind of waiting to be mixed and finalized and everything else. So it was that we just finally got the the master of that track recently, and it was really cool to hear. We hadn't listened to it in so long, and uh, I think it turned out really good. And I think the response was really good. And it was a blast for us to make. You know, we're going to slap it on an EP we hope to have out by the end of the year. Um, the tracks right now are in limbo because something in that computer that from 1997 broke, luckily it's nothing of, none of the memory stuff, We all the tracks are fine and everything, but it's something like a power, something's getting fixed on its town right now, so we're, happen, we're hoping to have that uh, ready to go by the end of the year, time for Christmas. It's probably five or six tracks. Um couple of recut tracks and maybe a cover or something along those lines. Uh, EP will be the same name. It'll be called Sleeping with Evil. We'll have different artwork. Um, and it'll probably be on Stormfell Records. Uh, we, we were in talks with that guy about doing it. So, But uh, we actually intended to keep that track until the EP was released, but we're going on tour tomorrow and uh, we needed a couple tanks of gas to float us, so we released it early in hopes to Attract a couple bucks, and we did. We did pretty well with it, so I'm happy with it. Now, where can people get it? I'm sorry? Uh, So where where can uh, people get the the, uh, single? Oh, oh, yeah. um, I at our band camp. It's vindicator.bandcamp.com. It's currently the only track we have up there. We just opened that for that purpose, Um, and it's... Hmm. uh, it's a pay what you want kind of thing, you know, dollars fine, but some people have given, you know, more, we were, we've been blessed to have, to know so many good people, uh, to help support us, right. and, uh, I mean, I don't think it's worth a buck, you know, it's just a dollar, I mean, uh, even in this day and age, a dollar still isn't that much, but I mean, I guess for some people right. it is, but for most people on the internet, surfing around, looking for a tune, you know, you have perfect opportunity to listen to it before you buy it, you know, if you don't want it, you know, I gotta buy it, you know, so...
1: Right. Cool. Can you speak about any of the other songs on this upcoming EP?
0: Um, Yeah, we got a, a you know, silly enough, I, I uh, another song I didn't make the cut was a song I wrote about Casey Jones from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's my era, you know, so I love that stuff. And I wrote a song called Hockey Stick Engines about Casey Jones because he's a badass. You know, he wears a hockey mask and keeps people up with golf clubs and hockey sticks. I mean... Bad guys, you know, naturally not nobody good, you know, and got a crush on April O'Neil and all that good stuff. But uh, that's really what that song's about. It turned out really cool, actually. Like it sounds like a silly title. I think it's got kind of a razor feel. Um, And we released, we did a Kickstarter a while back to help us get some merch, and one of the bonuses was a single. We recut one of our old tracks called Nuclear Assault. And it kind of rewrote it, so the is a little different, but it's kind of the same, so it's called Nuclear Salt End of an Air. Uh, we're going to throw that on there, and uh, we'll probably recut a couple of the tracks from the antique, which and put those on there. And really not certain about a cover or anything. I'm, I mean, that was just an idea from the label, so we haven't really even discussed what we might do. I really don't want to do anything too obvious, uh, you know, like I might do something you know, unexpected to kind of thrash it up or whatever, but... Um, yeah, the other songs, I mean, they still have that same production value that United We Ball has, and uh, that same feel, it's just that they didn't really flow with the album, the tracks that we put on the album, so we, we kept them aside for, you know, a later date. So.
1: Now, how did your split with Metal Witch, The Outbreak of Evil release mm-hmm. prepare you to make your sophomore album the antique witcheries
0: well you know like it, it was a that that split material i kind of wish it was an ep on its own because at the time play was real again they just wanted to do these splits but then late, later on like really close to our release they started releasing EPs. and i i thought that was standalone material and not that i didn't want to be on the split metal not a because they're amazing i thought they blew us away you know and uh but the, the material on that album was a little more technical than what was on There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood, we went in, we sat on those songs for roughly a year. We just kind of went in and it was just a good time, rock and thrash stuff, you know, had that old Bay Area sound and uh, touched with the new wave of Burst Heavy Metal type stuff. And uh, this stuff we went more, a little more tech, not like crazy on the top, not like corn or anything, but we, we stepped it up in the tech department just a hair, you know, and... Uh, so that's kind of what we wanted to do as a band, is get a little more technical, get a little more polished with each release. Um, and uh, so that, that kind of helped us out in that department because uh, the Antique witcheries was even more technical than the split and, you know, way more technical than the was. Neil, you
1: have anything to follow up with? Um, no, no, not no. Okay, Vic, can you explain what it means to be a founding member in a band?
0: Oh, the biggest pain in the ass ever. When you're one of <laughs> you original members, me and my brother have been doing this for eight years, man. We've been doing we've been doing it for longer than that. But as Vindicator, as Vindicator, we've been doing it for eight years, and it wears on you hard. Uh, you get a little more satisfaction out of like, yeah, I've been doing this for this long. You know, it's like I can't say that about anything else. You know, in my life. Like I can say that I've been doing Vindicator for eight years. And, uh, you know, so, well, I, I guess, you know, I, the only other sex, successful relationships that I've had is with my wife, you know what I mean? Like, so I got my wife and my band. Those two things are the longest-running things in my life, you know. And uh, uh-huh. I, I don't know, like, it's... It, you know, it, it, depend, it depends on, on, you know, who the band is to be a founding member. And our band, you know, I've, my wife and I have handled all, the majority of the responsibilities that this band has taken on. And that can be a little overbearing at times, you know, it can be kind of difficult. But, I mean, like like I said, you can say that you did that. You know, we, you know, took that weight on our shoulders and then carried it, you know, and, and everything. So, and, and, and it's know, it's a special thing. You know, to be a founding member and have stuck it out, you know, two thick and she's and just done what it, what it takes, you know. And, you know, you get the satisfaction of, of making, you know, calling a lot of the shots, you know, like it's your band, you know, so you can do, you know, you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that, you know, but being a founding member of a band that has longevity, that's, that's special to people, too. You know, you want to gain a fan base, you can be a crappy band as long as you've been around for a long time, you know what I mean? Like, you're going to have respect. While they're still doing it, you know. I mean, so I don't know. That's it's been it's been a fun ride. It's been a very hard ride uh, sometimes, but sometimes it's been like you know euphorically uh, high. I don't know. It, it's been there's been moments of euphoria and moments of just crushing lows. So it's an emotional thing being a founding member of Ben. band. There you go. <laughs> that's my closing statement on that. <laughs> All right.
1: Looking back on past albums of yours recorded in the studio, do you ever hmm. feel like certain takes of a song came out better than the tracks you put on the album?
0: Certain takes?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, let's say you make like six or seven takes for a particular song, and let's say you liked one particular take better than what you actually ended up putting on your album.
0: Do no, you feel I like didn't... that
1: ever happens to you?
0: No to be honest because I, I, what I what usually happens with us is at least you know the NT or with therapy board like I said, we sat on those talks for a while so we kind of had an idea how they wanted to, how we wanted them to go. We can go in, we lay our tracks down and we're done. We don't really for me I'm not a lead player and that might apply more to lead players than say myself um, up until recently, You know, like I only had to play the rhythm guitar tracks and that was it for me, you know, and I was done. So for me, it was just like I did a take and I did it the way it was supposed to be done. And that was that I never really did. We never really tried any. Well, let's try something different because we never really had the money to spend on the time. You know, usually what we were doing in the studio was coming out of our pocket and it was all hourly. So you get in, you better have those songs ready to go before you get in there. I know for a lead player, they'll they'll do several takes, you know, and, and go back and forth between them. Uh, on United We Fall, though, I would I would check out different like vocal takes, and, and not so much even a full verse or something. It would be like so much as like one line. Well, and we would do it right there on the spot, you know. And we at least we we had the luxury of coming back to it the next day and not having to worry about paying someone. We could listen to you right. know what like. I like how I said that right there and then this. So only up till recently did I have to worry about, like, doing different takes. And my brother's kind of the same way on drums. You know, he'll do something, and, you know, if, it is, if you know, it's the idea that he had originally, he usually sticks with it. You know, usually that's your best idea anyways. the first one you come up with. You start trying to change it too much, and then it's going to start losing that, that magic that it had. Um, so he's kind of the same way. Something that we'll do, though, is, like, Later on down the road, live, the song might evolve a little bit from the track that was recorded. We might add a palm mute here. And I don't feel bad about doing that stuff like we should have done that on the record because a live show should have special different stuff. You shouldn't, you're not going to a live show to listen to a CD, you know. The guys in Dream Theater, they are amazing, but that's all you're getting when you go there. You're getting them playing, you're getting a CD, you know. I mean <laughs> you might as well stay home and listen for the C D <laughs> Exactly and save yourself some money. But I mean some people are and it's not that I get those guys because those guys are eight million times better than every musician I've ever played with. But I mean, you know, I like to I like to add a little bit of live energy to my shows and I like to add a little bit of variation. So we might like add a little Paul mute here or do a little lick here that wasn't actually recorded. So for us it's not regret a different taste. It's a fresh like man, we can do this here. And it's cool, and it's cool to do live, but we're not disappointed we didn't do it on a record.
1: After recording sessions have ended, what is your biggest fear?
0: After they've ended? Usually, yes. well, <laughs> with There Will Be Blood, it was the artwork. The artwork of the Antique Wisheries was supposed to be on There Will Be Blood. And the lady that made that artwork, who was responsible for the majority of toxic Holocaust backlog and nine out of 10 young thrash bands coming up, she was like the Ed Repka of today. She just, she messed up. She didn't do anything the way that I explained it to her the first time, which was fine because she was like, it's no worries, I'm not going to charge you for this. I'll just redo it. Well, then it came right down to the wire. We needed those records done on a certain day, and she couldn't get it mailed to us. We had to make a different record or a different album cover, which I'm glad it turned out the way it did because it's real exciter esque and I, I I wouldn't have it any other way. That was the fear on that record. On the antique witcheries, it was the fear of getting the, getting it to the label on time. there were so many hang ups on that record it wasn't even funny. One of them were, were bad IRC codes. You had to put IRC codes on your you know, on your master and all that jazz and the label sent us the wrong ones and it was just back and forth and back and forth. It's always the deadline. It's not, It's like the record's done, and, and for some reason, we don't ever have a record done like way ahead of time, ever. We're never sitting on a record for like a year before we decide to release it. We're usually recording a record like so many months before it's, it's going to be out. We'll, and we usually try not to set the streak a year, like we'll, we'll hold off as long as we can, but it's always the deadline. That's my fear after the record's done because after the record is done, there's still these things that have to be done to it like all these linear, linear notes or maybe artwork or some kind of code or you know, now we gotta mix it, you know, for me that's it's I'm done recording, but they're still like mixing and mastering and et cetera, et cetera, you know, and uh, the last time it was our lead player is, is the one who engineered the record and he mixed it. And he went on a vacation well he wouldn't go on a vacation, but he went back home to California for a little while and he came back with fresh set of ears, but he, like, stayed up for, like, three days straight working on it, and he was a little delirious, you know. So there were, like, these real little minute things that, like, I was at work, and he was going to get it mastered, and I showed up right as soon as I could after work. And I'm listening to this this master, and there's, like, little things here and there that are just, they're just, maybe no one could hear them, but I could hear them, and they were just stabbing my ears, you know, just burning them. And the session was, the mastery session was pretty much, he had been there for, too long, let's just say. And, uh, I'm going, no, this is not right. This is not right. And we had to pay for that session and we couldn't use that master. And it, it you know, it, it's nothing against, it's nothing against, you know, our lead player. Cause he, you know, he did the best he could. And he was just a leader. He wouldn't take a nap. Like everybody's going dude, do just sleep for a half hour. He's like, no, I gotta get this done. <laughs> you know? And, uh, he really, he really just needed to sleep and come back to it, you know? But, uh, so, like, we, we got that, but we got it all done and and, and everything else. And, and, you know, the next time we get in, sometimes the places, like the our mastering place, will try to get you with this, like, well, here's what the mix would sound like if you were in a car listening to it. Here's what the mix would sound like if you were, and we like, we don't need to hear that, just master this thing so that all the levels are the same. That's really all we're going for. Make sure no songs are quieter than the other ones, you know. There's, cause they don't really... You know, when you're recording these days, you don't have to do a whole lot post-production. Like, you know, it's it's pretty much mastered while you're recording. I mean, we did all that stuff ourselves, you know. This is set where we want, you know. There wasn't, like, a whole bunch of EQing done uh, in post-production. So, you know, you just go in to make sure, okay, this song's a little quieter, so we're going to make sure that it's the same level as the song before it, you know, and make sure there's nothing weird. But uh, that was, that was kind of harrowing. It was like, oh, my gosh, that was way too much money. We just spent on nothing. <laughs> But that, uh, that happens to every band, too. There's little things like that. But yeah. there really is. There's always something. There's always something, you know, with, with after something's done, with a record. At least, you know, if there, I guess if, if, if you were good enough or smart enough or had enough songs that you could do it like a year in advance or like say you go into the studio and you cut like 20 tracks and you only release 10 and the next year you're going to release another 10, it probably wouldn't be as stressful you know what I mean? For me, it's always the deadline. For me, it's every single time it's the deadline. We're always, like, trying to plan these, you know, maybe a little tour or something in support of the album. And it's like, are we going to get these things on time? You know and I mean? Something like that. So it's nothing. It's, I don't ever have, like, fears like, oh, did I sing that song, that line right and stuff like that. It, it's usually nothing like that. It's always just that deadline, some stupid thing throwing a wrench into it. So mm-hmm. that's really it for me. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Can you explain the tweaking process you need to go through from having your songs composed to getting them ready one by one for placement on the album?
0: You know, the placement, that is, that's a weird thing. Like, I've never really gotten real deep about the placement of of songs on my records. You know, it's like, I don't know, like, I kind of, let's put this one up here. It's really just as much as simple as that. I think that would be a good one to open with. And I think that'd be a good one to end with and just kind of do whatever in the middle. You know, I've never really had a, a, a flow of a record and, and some records are really good for that. You know, like start to finish. It's just like, that was just amazing, you know, but I've never, I can't, I haven't figured that out yet. The, uh, the magic and, and track, track to track, you know, how smooth that can be. Um, I, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, we write, how we do it is we just, we write a riff, we write a song, we jam on it for a little while, and uh, when we're cool with how something sounds, I mean, it really doesn't leave the our, our jam spot until it's, we feel like it's ready to go, so, but we never have an idea of, like this would be great before this song. So it's usually just when the songs are done, we don't do them in any particular order. It's just like, I've got all the lyrics done for this one, so let's do that. And, uh, you know, once we're done with them, it's like, it's more of a feel thing. And maybe it's like that for other bands too, but for for me and and, and, uh, James, when we were working on it, it was a feel thing. It was like, this this feels good here. This seems right here. You know, blah, blah, blah. Was there, you know, we don't want to do like a, a fade-out, a fade-in, and it's, you know, like, back-to-back tracks, we watch out for stuff like that, or two fade-outs in a row, or two where the song ends like this, you know, we kind of try to pay attention to, to the small details like that, where, you know, if it's like, uh, well, this one stops abruptly, this, this song stops abruptly, and, and the next track stops abruptly, maybe we should put, like, a fade-out in between those, you know, we, we look for stuff like that. But, I don't know, there's really no too much tweaking in the sense of, you know, like, we have an idea of how it's going to go track to track. It's just sort of a chaotic mess. <laughs> and, what, and what you get is what you get. We try, to, we try to keep it from being monotonous from beginning to end, but, you know, yeah, there's little things here and there, but it's more of a feel, I think. That's my opinion.
1: What types of things should you check for with a van or station wagon? before you take it out on a nationwide or regional tour?
0: I normally, what I would do, this was the first tour we're not using my van. Usually, uh, my van has been to the West Coast several times and, and even to Canada. And uh, it's over the 200,000 mark, and it's just time to not, and the bottom's starting to, like, rot out of it because, you know, us northeast states like to throw salt everywhere in the wintertime. That just it does wonders for the undercarriage of your car. But... Uh, it's, uh, it's Chicago. <laughs> it's just crazy, man. But uh, uh-huh. normally what I would do is I would take, because I don't know, you know, I, I'm not a car guy. I have no idea what's going on under that hood. I just know sometimes you need to get an oil change and you've got to fill up with gas or it's not going to move. So mm-hmm. I'll take it to, uh, you know, a guy, a mechanic that I know, and I have him check checking. I let him know, you know, this is what I'm doing. Please look for anything that might give me problems. He'll give me a list. I have that stuff fixed. That's that's what I do. It's the safest thing to do. Unless you know what you're doing, you know, make sure that you're getting an oil change and you know, make sure that everything's topped off and all your shit's running right. You know, your belts and, and everything else here and there. And uh, you know, it's it's really it's really about that. Like I said, some people are really good with that stuff. I'm terrible with it, so I have to take it to somebody, have them check it out. But this is the first tour, you know, we're doing with our, our newly players uh, SUV. And uh, I don't know what he does to prep for that stuff, if he does anything at all. We're going to find out so <laughs> if, uh, if he did anything. But, uh, you know, normally you, know, you take it to somebody and let them check it out. That's, that's what I would suggest. But, you know, I guess it's just a matter of checking the tread of your tires, making sure there's no weird wears, making sure you can stop your vehicle, making sure the oil's changed and all your fluids are good to go and making sure your, you know, your belts aren't all slate and rotting or stuff like that, you know. You can go through it without having heat and without having air. Probably might need heat if I guess if your windshield's frozen. But they even make those little those little heaters that you can plug into your cigarette lighter thing and you know use that. Uh, but if your heater's out, but uh, you know you can get by with with without a lot of the dumb stuff. You just want to make sure that thing's going to get you to where you're going and you can break and that you can go on and it's going to start every day. So, we've had our fair share of breakdowns with that van, you know, it's, it's not a fun thing to experience. It's, it's you know, a stranger in a strange land, it's very uncomfortable. You know, we've had uh, I would say alternator go once and then electrical issues and had to replace a rear end on it and things like that. So, I mean, it's uh, that is your, that is your vessel. That is your, your, your vehicle. You know, you're not going to get to where you're going if it's not running properly. So take care of it, you know,
1: can you explain what a typical promotional campaign is like for an album?
0: Well, it's pretty short and weak. You don't have any money, that's for sure. <laughs> you can only do what you can do on every social network, and even those are tightening their grip to squeeze every penny out of an artist that they can. Uh, you know, you you can batter people's brains out, or you can just do what you can do. You know, me, I, I have so much going on in my personal life that it's difficult for me to stay on top of social networking. If you don't have somebody, like, if you, if you have a label, chances are they have great PR people. That's one of the bonuses of being signed. And that they're going to have ends at every news outlet, you know, every metal outlet, every metal publication. They just send out a thing, and there it is, you know. And even if it's not in, in print, it's going to make it online. And uh, for, for a band like us who doesn't have a lot of money, we might you know try to promote it here and there, you know, via our contacts that we've made over the years. And uh, maybe we'll put a little money in the promotion online, you know, which is unfortunate. But, you know, when you post something like a, you post a track or a picture on Facebook, it's very tiny fraction of the amount of people that like your page see what you posted unless you pay for it. And even there, you're, you're getting capped each time. You know, you, you hit your limit and you give us more money or that's it. And it's like that with everything, even like Reverb Nation. You know, you want you want to promote a show, it's going to cost you, you know. But So, I mean, it takes money to make money. And if you don't have any money to put in promotion, it's going to be a while before you move albums. It's a really sad thing. But if you're you're real fly at it, I know a couple of people who are just PR machines who don't put a lot of money into it. If you're able to just sit there and be in chat rooms and be on forums and just hammer it. And maybe spend a little money here and there. I mean, it, it's gonna go. It's gonna go far. You know, it's gonna do you real well. And hype. I'm telling you what, hype does make a difference when it comes to an album. If you can hype. If yeah. you can hype it up, you're gonna get way more sales than if the album's solid and you just not get enough, you know, PR into it. Uh, promotion's a key thing in a new album, and when you just don't have a, when you don't have the cash, it's just it's tough to spread. I want to say that when the new album came out. I'm not going to name the band that I'm going to compare ourselves to, but when the new album came out, I want to say we have a handful of reviews, and they're all very good reviews. I'm so happy with them. There isn't a bad one among them.
1: They're either good
0: or extremely good. We've, we haven't had that as a band yet, but there's only a handful of them. And Band B put out an album and has hundreds of reviews. And not all of them are good, but they're still they're still there in your face. There's no bad publicity. You know, If your name's out there, people are still going to check it out, even if they... Even if they're laughing at you beforehand, even if they think you suck beforehand, they're still gonna check you out. Yeah. You know, there's a good chance of that. So there's there's a lot of work in promotion.
1: Okay. No.
0: In front of a computer. It's gonna hurt right. it's gonna hurt your album sales. How uh, how does the label help with that? Do they help you out with promotions? With Flaney, you know, the guy, he's not he's not a real in-your-face label. You know, he's just a small, independent guy. He does what he can, so he doesn't pump a lot of money into promotions. He's done stuff here and there, real small, but, I mean, you know, he just, and just like, you know, everybody else, he's got a life. He's got a lot going on, so it's hard for him to get stuff out to, to get reviewed. And sometimes, you know, some of that stuff makes it sway onto a desk of a guy who hates the genre and his only reason for asking for the CD is to cut it down. There's a lot of those out there. Yeah, send me your disc, I'll, I'll review it. And if you don't check into that guy and re- read his reviews, oh, he hates every new thrash band, I probably shouldn't send him this thing because he's going to get that review, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, so right. that happens a lot more than it doesn't. And, you know, the are does what they can, you know, but it's, right. it's, it's not a whole lot, you know.
1: What are some of the difficulties involved in setting up and playing a background show? Or like a backyard show?
0: Oh, oh. well, you know, to be honest, I, we haven't played a whole lot of house shows. And they're usually, for us, we don't set them up. We've never set up a house show. Usually, you know, we'll contact somebody and they, they'll deal with the, that end of it. Um, I, I would imagine, like, there's always that fear that, you know, if your, your neighbors get pissed, you know, they're, they're going to call the cops or something. I, uh, my brother's in a, his own, he's got his own band, and he's got his own, like, kind of doom-heavy band that he's in, and they played their first show uh, last Saturday. It was a garage show, and these houses are very close together, and it was, you know, it wasn't really late, but the show started at 9, ended at 10, and I couldn't believe that the cop didn't show up. I guess that the, the drummer went door-to-door and let, you know, his neighbors know what was going on, and I guess they were cool with it, but usually stuff like that doesn't fly. Um, but we've never run into any issues at house shows. They've always been real fun and, uh, or or say jam space shows even, they've always been fun. They've, you know, we, we sell stuff and it's always a good time. Uh, so I, I mean, I really can't talk on the difficulties of that. We, we haven't been, we haven't had the misfortune of having the cops called on us and stuff. You know, I mean, that would be a different story. It'd be real awkward. I would imagine. And, you know, like, uh, man, this is, this is, there's tension now. There's guys here that might beat us or shoot us or something if we say something wrong you know <laughs> but uh i yeah i couldn't i couldn't tell you man uh we've been you know lucky enough that we somebody else has dealt with that end of it so i've been to uh plenty of diy shows' seen any problems really yeah it's been really cool here that's awesome man like that and that's a good thing like you, you know the DIy shows are, are awesome they're always a good time you know like I mean, mm-hmm. imagine we, we played one where I, I should say it, it got kind of ugly for five minutes. There was a over-the-top drunk guy in the crowd, and you know it came to blows. Uh, he somehow wound up on the stage area, and he knocked over one of the guitars, guitars from the band that one of the bands that played before us. Knocked him over, broke a drum, and and about ten people grabbed this guy to get him off, just get him off the stage. And I was uh-huh. one of those guys, I think I just had a leg or something, and the dude grabbed my hair and was just poking me in the face. I'm glad I'm not oh, going to get my eye poked out, but, I mean, I punched him, like, five <laughs> times in the face. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not a violent guy, but you have my hair and you won't let go, and you're poking me in the face really close to my eye. Mm-hmm. I'm going to break your face if you don't let go. And I wasn't All the right. only person punching him and squeezing him and pressure pointing him because, like, dude, was he was out of control. It was just one of those guys, so...